You know, you have to be aware of that, especially with new people on the job. They listen and they pay attention to what you're saying. Enchanted Sky Media. 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 This is Code 3, the podcast for firefighters. Now, here's your host, Scott Orr. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again this week. You know, a lot of things company officers say have a serious impact on morale. Sometimes it doesn't happen right away, but you say negative things enough and you'll eventually hurt the team. Here to talk about that is Linda Willing. She's a retired career fire officer and currently works with emergency services agencies and other organizations with her company, Real World Training and Consulting. She's also an adjunct instructor and curriculum advisor at the National Fire Academy. Linda's the author of the book, On the Line, Women Firefighters Tell Their Stories. And Linda Willing joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Thank you, Scott. Why is it important for a company officer to watch what he says? Well, I think that officers sometimes underestimate the influence that they have, not just in the words they use, but in the actions that they take. And, you know, they're really, to me, the most powerful position on the entire fire department. So they have to set an example all the time? Is that what you're saying? Yes, and and that doesn't mean that people can't make mistakes. Um, In fact, making honest mistakes and learning from them can be an extremely positive example. But in terms of what you say, a lot of times, excuse me, People, um, they, they don't understand, especially with uh, newer, younger firefighters. You know, if you're the company officer and you have a brand new firefighter in your station, that firefighter is looking to you all the time to understand what does it mean to be a member of this organization, to be a good firefighter, to be an officer someday. They're looking at you and, and other officers on the job. And so... You know, even sometimes the casual things you say, maybe not even meaning them, can sometimes have an impact in a way that you don't intend. All right, let's look at some examples of what not to say. Number one is, I don't care what you think, but I'm the officer, right? So should I care what they think? Of course you should care what they think. I never understood this, and and fortunately, in my experience, um, this was very much the exception rather than the rule among officers, but I did run into it, where people would get themselves into that position, and for whatever reason, I I don't really understand why you would not want the input of your crew. I mean, firefighting is the ultimate team sport, you know? I mean, you can't do it alone, so to not have as much information, as much insight. And and that doesn't mean that you're having debates and, you know, taking votes at, at critical scenes about what to do. It just means that the entire crew knows that each and every one of them is valuable and that they have not only valuable, but they have a responsibility to pay attention to, you know, be aware, situationally aware, and to feed that information back to the crew. Number two is, don't bother me with your personal problems. 
Now, this, I guess, is the opposite of taking work home. This is taking home to work. Right. Of course, people take home to work, especially in a job like the fire service. And it's not, you know, exclusive one way or the other. Um, I'm really grateful that there's been so much more attention in the last couple of years to firefighter behavioral health issues, um, to the increasing problem of firefighter suicide, um, uh, addiction, uh, those kinds of issues. You know, we know for a fact from um, data collection that firefighters have a higher rate than the average population for divorce. Um, all of these things, I mean, the, the job is stressful. But um, and it's not the company officer's job to be a psychiatrist, you know, or even to be a best friend. It's not that that's not the job description. But situational awareness is the job description. And if somebody particularly if somebody's behavior has changed significantly, you know, somebody who was normally outgoing is suddenly very withdrawn. Somebody who was easygoing is suddenly angry. I mean, these are red flags. And company officers do have the obligation to pay attention and to be concerned about the health and safety of their of their crew members in every aspect. Now, let me turn that around. Is there, for lack of a better phrase, a limit to what I should say as a firefighter to my company officer about problems I might be having at home? Um, you know, I think that, that there's a balancing point there. Um, if, if somebody's really struggling and they need somebody to talk to and they happen, you know, to trust their company officer to, to confide in that person, that's a good thing. It doesn't mean that the company officer is responsible at that point for following up and, and, you know, being the counselor to that person. But, you know, company officers should know what resources exist. And in most fire departments, there's multiple outside resources for, um, support with personal problems. There can be peer advisors, counselors, peer support teams, that kind of thing. Um, there can be, um, you know, the um, critical incident process is something that can be helpful. Um, you know, there's often um, medical personnel associated with the department that um, people can access on a confidential basis, or sometimes, you know, it's it's more of a county or municipality type of service. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there, and company officers should know what is out there and, and what, may, what, what might be helpful for that person. They're not responsible for solving the problem, but they are responsible for recognizing that there might be a, a significant problem and you know, directing that person in a way that could be helpful. All right, we'll get back to the list of things we shouldn't be saying. Number three was, I know it's against policy, but, and I find this one interesting because you gave us examples, we're B-shift, we do things differently, or we're in a hurry. Why is this a problem? Well, you know, this was the one um, in the comments on this article that there was the most pushback on because some people were so set, you know, they were saying things like, well, my department is so dysfunctional and the policies are so stupid that we have to operate outside the outside the grid. You know, we have to kind of go rogue. It's just required to be able to do the job. And my feeling is, OK, you know, this is idealistic in a way, but if that's the case, then you've got to change the system because, you know, encouraging people to make decisions that are outside of what that company culture and, uh, you know, the company of 
what I mean in terms of like the company officer's culture in that station or the shift or the fire department itself, if, if people are consistently just freelancing is basically what it is. And, and we all know how dangerous that, that can be. So you don't want people freelancing on policy any more than you want them freelancing on fire scene. And if the policy is bad, then instead of just, you know, using it as an excuse to do whatever you want, I think especially people in positions of leadership, like company officers and above, they have they have a responsibility to try and change it, you know, to to take that policy back to the higher ups and say, you know, this isn't working. Can we talk about this and see if they can make some substantial change? Now, the next one is sort of related in a way, and it's just leave that for the other shift or just leave that for the next shift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you know, when I hear that, I think, all right, that's one way to deal with it. But that suggests that you can afford to be lazy sometimes if you're tired or whatever. These sort of things, I think, add up over time, though. Sure, they do. And, and you know, there's always going to be times when, you know, you you got a fire at midnight and at seven in the morning when the next shift comes in, you're still on the fire scene cleaning up. Um, you know, people are going to be quite understanding about maybe the rig isn't put back into service exactly the way it should be, you know. I mean, that kind of thing. But if people, I mean, the example I used in my article was, and this actually happened to me and my crew, you know, we walked in the station one morning and just about got knocked over by the smell of sewage. I mean, nobody could have missed that smell. And this particular station had a basement that was prone to flooding during certain, you know, if it rained or certain events. And, um, you know, we came in just like, oh, my gosh, what is that smell? And, the, you know, the other crew sitting there just trying to hold on until shift change until they could get out because they didn't want to deal with it. And it, it really caused a lot of bad feeling between my crew and that crew. The fact that, you know, that they really deliberately left that mess for us. And, you know, maybe it wasn't something that was noticed until the morning, but at least they could have engaged to that degree and said, oh, we woke up this morning and, you know, we went down the basement. Oh, my gosh, it's a mess. You know, we're so sorry. No, you know, it was just that total avoidance. And and that that leads to bad blood. And, you know, the crew integrity goes beyond just you and your firefighters in one station. It's the entire department and beyond. I mean, crew integrity goes as far as um, working well with other agencies as well. So to, you know, to deliberately put your work onto somebody else in a consistent manner is something that is going to create bad blood and, and ultimately, you know, bad operations in the long run. And I suppose it's incumbent upon that shift's captain to say, all right, I don't want to deal with this any more than you do, but let's go take a look. Exactly. All right. The last one was one that I found kind of amusing because I've seen this in many industries, which is the old, when you've got these and you grab <laughs> onto your rank insignia, you don't uh -huh. have to fill in the blank. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I thought it was really interesting. I mean, the story that I tell in the article, again, is, is a real story from my own experience. And, and it was unfortunate because the guy that, that started that on my department, um, be it became kind of his signifier. I mean, that became his tagline for the rest of his career, not, not in a positive way. And 
that was a shame because he was a good firefighter in many ways and he had a lot going for him. You know, it was a shame that he undermined his credibility um, in that way. But, you know, I noticed in the comments um, that somebody, one officer wrote how he had made a joke like that with uh, carrying groceries or something. You know, fire lieutenants don't have to carry groceries, he said to his new firefighter. And he was just kidding around. But, you know, you have to be aware of that, especially with new people on the job. Um, they they listen and they pay attention to what you're saying. And it, it's not that you can never make a joke, but you have to be careful. Now, that one sounds like it's actually a leadership issue to me. It's more a case of I wouldn't ask these men to do anything I wouldn't do and then doing it rather than saying, you do it, I don't have to anymore. Right, right. Well, you know, that's the worst thing that an officer can do is to uh, separate him or herself from the crew by saying, you know, now I've got these, I don't have to, I don't have to do anything, you know, like I used to do. And, and that just, it's, it's very, um, it's not in the person's best interest. I mean, you're not going to be doing exactly the same things you did before. You've got new responsibilities as an officer and everyone understands that. Everyone understands that, you know, you're going to be spending more time in the office, writing reports, you know, making appointments, all of that kind of stuff that, you know, as an engineer or firefighter, you're not responsible for doing. And frankly, most engineers and firefighters are, are more than happy to let somebody else do that stuff. But to completely separate yourself, and I've seen officers do this, where they basically just interact with the crew as an officer and, you know, okay, let's go do this, let's go do that. And then they come in back in the station and, and they go in their office and close the door and there's no sense of camaraderie. Um, that's that's very damaging as well. You know, it's a, it's a tightrope walk. You have to kind of, uh, it's a balancing act to be a good officer. And that's probably the last word on the subject. You do have to walk a tightrope to get the job done. Linda Willing, thanks for joining me today. You're more than welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. For more information about Linda's business, Railworld Training and Consulting, or her book, go to our website, code3podcast.com slash words. Have you become a patron of Code 3 yet? Why not? It's your opportunity to support the show. We're looking for monthly pledges at all levels, and we're offering rewards for you, too. Join listeners like Blaine Donovan and Steve Rutherford who have stepped up to give us a hand. Thank you for the support, gentlemen. What's Code 3 worth to you? A buck a month? Five? Ten? Maybe more? Just head over to Code3Podcast.com, click on the Patreon link, and you can become a patron of Code 3. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next Thursday with more. I'm Scott Orr, and until next week, we'll see you later. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To get in contact with us, visit Code3Podcast.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you should. Don't miss an episode. Find us at the Apple iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.